man, nothing like some Catholic guilt and like some shame to be talking about the four hells as a mother to your children. Because that sounds about right to me. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke. A waste of time. Or a slash. Totally killer. Pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone and as such we're writing these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the super fly space guy, Mac. If you see a ghost, you say, hello. The classic horror connoisseur, Sean. You can't make me ask the virgin for forgiveness. And the paranormal paramour, Binks. Whoever took the curtains wants to kill my children. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Creepy Crate, makers of the horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. And speaking of creepy, the people have spoken and our patrons have decided we're covering a chilling tale that actually reigns as the fourth highest grossing Spanish film of all time. In the twilight of 2001, director Alejandro Amenabar gave us his first English language film, a horror mystery thriller that plunges viewers into the shadowed recesses of the human mind. The film uncovers the story of a mother and her two sunlight-sensitive children who live in a constant state of nocturnal seclusion. As they struggle to navigate their lightless world, they become gripped by the terrifying belief that they're not alone, that something unseen is sharing their home, stirring the silence, and roaming the empty halls. This week, after winning 76% of the overall patron vote, we're turning down the lights and peering into the hidden corners of the others. So this movie was nominated by our patron Amber. She says... I absolutely love this movie. It's so creepy and unsettling without even really trying. It's one of the most atmospheric films I've ever seen. And I love how the ending pissed me off and broke my heart at the same time. Even though Nicole Kidman was huge at the time, it doesn't have a big movie film to it, making it a great and unique horror film. I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on this one. Well, you're in luck, Amber, because it's about that time. Who's seen this one before? Oh, man, I have actually seen this one a lot. Probably at the very least six times or so for sure. Like I, I own this one on DVD. Unfortunately, that DVD is shoved in a storage unit somewhere. So I had to look really hard for this one. Yeah, I also have seen this one a few times. But ironically, before now, I had just rewatched it literally in January as a part of like my top 100 horror movies. So I've already seen it twice this year. So let's see how many more times I can see it this year by the end of December. Okay. I truly swore that I had seen this. I was like telling my wife about the movie going, yeah, you know, that one with Nicole Kidman. I think I've seen it. Yeah. And then I started watching it and realized I don't think I've actually ever seen this movie. Wow. Nice. Nice. I just had a similar moment with talking about this movie with my girlfriend. I was like, yeah, yeah, you've seen the others, right? The one with Nicole Kidman. She was like, oh, yeah, the one where, um, and she said something vague. She's like, what was it? What was the whole thing again? And I said the twist ending. And then she was like, no, I haven't seen that. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> oh, I ruined no. it. <laughs> oh, no. Damn. I realized, though, that I think just based on the title alone, I was thinking of The Invasion, which is, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah. Very different movie. Definitely. Similar Nicole Kidman, though. Mm. Yeah, you know, I've seen this movie before, back when it first came out, and I realized this is the last movie I have seen Nicole Kidman truly star in. 
Like, I know she was an Aquaman, but like, we don't think about Aquaman as a Nicole Kidman movie, right? This was the last time, because I don't know that I've ever even really seen Moulin Rouge in its entirety. I've seen the songs. Oh, wow. I've seen performances, like clips of the performances, and I love the soundtrack, but I've never actually watched the movie. So, you know, this movie has a semi-special place in my heart. But going into this one, I really expected for this to feel like a slow burn, like a boring time. Because I feel like once you know the twist in this movie, you can't watch it the same way twice. But I was actually pleasantly surprised that there was more to this movie than I remembered. Oh, absolutely. I think when I watched it earlier this year, I had been expecting a little bit of nostalgia because it had been a substantial gap actually since I had seen the movie and maybe about two or three years in between but I was looking forward to like a fresh perspective because it's true like once you know the twist obviously you're watching a fresh movie it's got a different set of eyes you're looking at different things so I was expecting a bit of that and even again watching it now like it something still caught me by surprise. I, I it's really good. It's always a, a fun rewatch at the very least. Yeah, I'm a sucker for a good ghost story, and this is easily one of my favorites. I, I loved watching this one. I, I feel like it hits every time. I, I would expect for this one to have some genuinely creepy moments, subtle, sure, but creepy nonetheless. Like it, it's one that having not seen it before will keep you on your toes like it keeps your mind going the whole way through i expected something very different i expected a like very 2000s tame level of ghostly spookiness something like 13 ghosts or skeleton key something that's not quite horror something's a little bit more thriller you know i would hope for a little bit more thriller but i think the reality is that this is a another entry in the scared mother wanders haunted house you know kind of ghosty shit there is no shortage of horror movies that can be vaguely described as this movie. But really going into this and in watching it the whole way through, I felt a lot of tension. And that's weird because I've seen this before, right? We know how this movie ends. And I think perhaps its ending is one of the things it's known most for. But it still feels like almost like a well-kept secret because I'm, I'm surprised how many people I'm still meeting who have never seen this movie before. And I will say that this movie it pulls at your heartstrings a little bit, but it really balanced that emotion against some really quality scares. So I didn't feel too stressed out the entire time. Yeah, you bring up such a good point about watching it or like still finding people that have never seen it like you, Mac. Like that's it's always so fun because this time around I rewatched it with one of my closest friends and it was similar to what you guys are saying. Like I was like, hey, have you seen the others? The one with Nicole Kidman? Yeah, yeah. We started and she was like, wait, I haven't. So literally same scenario, Mac. And the feelings I had this time around, obviously differing from January, was like excitement, just like staring at her and like seeing, you know, is she getting it? Is she not? Like, oh my God. And all the while still feeling the feels for the overall theme, but it was, it was just a fun rewatch with someone who hadn't seen it. And I've never experienced that before with this movie. Yeah. You know, I had, I don't know, I had kind of a different thing going on. I, I think it definitely feels more thriller than horror. That's for sure. But yeah, there is that feeling of like mystery and, to me, that was so easily figured out early on. And so I didn't get that massive surprise or massive shock. There's like a couple things early on that made me, cause you know me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to figure things out as soon as I can. And there's a couple lines that are said. There's a couple things that are like hovered over a few times where I was like, Oh, I figured it out. But the movie, it's, you know, it's very like low stakes. So even though there's like tension, 
you don't feel overly stressed. You don't feel like some movies where you're like, I need to stop watching this movie. You have like a little bit of tension to keep it going. It still feels compelling enough to see it through to the end. Well, I can say the least surprising thing about this movie is Mac figuring it out, I guess. Gemini <laughs> being a Gemini. He just wouldn't be very fun to watch this movie with. <laughs> I was just going to ask that too. So it's funny that you say that because I don't know. I, I'm trying to think back to when I first saw the movie and I don't think I picked anything out in the beginning. So I was just, I was literally going to ask you, was it obvious for you? Because the feeling, the first feeling that I had when I watched this uh, back, it, it's like I could see the subtle signals having watched it several times, but I don't know how obvious that would be for somebody never have never watched it before, right? And I thought back to when I first watched it, and I I genuinely think, granted I was young, whatever, but I, I genuinely think that I did not get it the first time around. But I also I also think that the score really plays well into the effectiveness of this film. It's really, it, it feels like it's so quiet. It's so quiet, which allows you to hear like all of the sounds of everything that's going on in the house, the footsteps, the various noises of the house, whether it's like the creaking floorboards or, or whatever. And then the score kicks in and gives you those jump scares. And it still sometimes gets me. You know, I find this movie to be one where, like, the ideas are more scary than what the film actually executes. I get, it for sure is tense, right? And sure, it may feel low stakes, but I think the subject matter of this movie, you know, it manages to make me feel a little bit more invested, despite the fact that it's a period piece, and I'm not really fond of period pieces in horror. It's really just not my sweet spot. I can take period pieces outside of that. But, I mean, The Witch is famously, like, one that was, like, an exception for me. I was able to really get into it. But I think the one thing that really disappointed me is actually the very beginning of the movie. And listen, this is going to be a little nitpicky, but joke's on me for wearing fucking headphones watching this movie. Because we get a great opening, and then the first thing we hear from Nicole Kidman besides the opening narration is her shrill scream. Man, I feel like I lost more of my hearing today. Joke's on me because that's what I was most surprised about and what I love the most is that scream. I think that scream is like so layered with the context of the character. Like it's it, it sets the tone, it like wakes you up, it sets the atmosphere, but then when you discover who Grace is, like Nicole Kimmins character, you go back to that moment and you're like, oh, that, that could mean a lot of things. That scream could be layered and be a lot of signals to a lot of things that actually happen in the movie, personally. It's just kind of great, though, because Sean and I were talking earlier about the audio. And like we start off with that that shrill scream, and then they just whisper for the next hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. So it's it's it was, it was hard to hear until I put headphones in, and then it was like a much better experience. But the thing that surprised me the most, oh boy, the cast. The cast was a shock to me, because I didn't really look at who was going to be in this movie aside from Nicole Kidman. But I was very surprised to see Doctor Who mm -hmm. slash the leader of the Dark Elves, Christopher Eccleston here. Loved it. He was so young. It was so weird to see it. And I loved it. I was also pleasantly surprised to see Fanula Flanagan, who plays Mrs. Mills. She also plays Dr. Juliana Tainer in a Star Trek Next Generation episode nice. called Inheritance, season seven, episode 10, during which she's revealed to be Data. <laughs> Data the, the, okay, so first of all, Data the Android, his creator was married to this woman. So basically, she was like his mom, except he lost his early memories and he had no idea. But wait, it gets even more interesting because we get Michelle Fairley, better known for her role as Catelyn Stark in Game of thrones like what is this cast it's amazing yeah i think i'm i was genuinely surprised and i know i kind of 
talked about it earlier, but I was genuinely surprised at how effectively creepy this movie is, despite having seen this one multiple times over the years. I was surprised, even knowing everything that happens in the movie, how I was still able to get creeped out while watching this movie. It still gets me every time, and, it, and I love that about this movie. And so when we talk about how frightening this movie is, well, I don't think this is necessarily the scariest film that I've ever seen, but it's definitely not the least scary film either. I think this one is just a really good ghost story. It gives you the creeps, that chilling feeling that you used to get when telling ghost stories around the campfire. Absolutely. I think it's just the right amount to give you the goosebumps, like you're saying, and you know, kind of feel like, ooh, what is happening? A little unsettled, but not in an extreme way, which makes I feel like this movie a perfect one for anyone to digest. Like, funny enough, when I was watching it, I had taken a picture on my Instagram story, and some of my friends that don't like horror movies, this is one of their favorite movies of all time. So just goes to show you that this is a perfect movie for anyone that might want to dabble in the genre, that's a fan of the genre, et cetera, to, to get into for sure. I think if you've ever been in a big old house, and I mean both a big house and an old house, they are scary enough on their own simply because they make their own noises. And you can be in one room three stories up and hear something from the basement and you're like, I don't know what that is and I really don't want to go find out. So when you when you set a movie in a house that's like that, even if the movie itself is not super duper scary and has like crazy effects and gore and all that kind of stuff, there's that there's that vibe. There's that spookiness that comes into it that's effective. You know what I find incredible though? That this movie, despite being okay, let's say set way further back, this movie takes place just post World War II. This movie is still more tense and more impactful with its I think capacity or potential of fright than let's say the haunting that came out two years prior. Like this did so much more with so much less. And I know that the haunting is like on paper supposed to be a scarier movie, right? A lot more jump scares. You have actual stakes in that movie. You know what I mean? Like I think when we compare the violence or the deaths, like the body count in each movie, the haunting should be the clear winner. And I think the atmosphere of this puts it above that. Which I think is refreshing and actually reminds me back to the version from the 50s. Yeah. And I think it feels more like that classic haunted house story. So while not entirely original, I do think it has a really great twist while paying a lot of respect to like what a true core of a haunted house story is. I like that comparison a lot. I agree 100%. I, I, I honestly can't say, though, that I have seen this exact concept in any other movie. There might be one out there that I'm thinking of now that just hit me, but I'm, I'm not going to bring it up because I don't want to. We're in the spoiler free section. But this, this one is definitely original to me. The, the way the story is told, the layers and the depth to the story. It's just really good stuff, and it still holds up to this day. I got to say, if I were to think of like the 2000s, this is 2001. It's very early in that very infamous decade of horror. But like, I guess the the plot, the twists, the themes is very fresh considering like, again, I understand that like it's the early 2000s kind of like kicked it off. And it has some reminiscence to some movies that I'm sure we, we might be aligned with later on in the spoiler zone. But I still think it's very, very fresh. Like, I can't think of any of the early 2000s movies that kind of land with the plot twists and what they were trying to evoke with such very little fright, aside from this one. But that's just me. 
I think it's pretty clearly related to a like a really big movie from a couple of years before. And I'm sure when we get to the spoiler zone, we'll, we're going to talk about that maybe once. But I think overall, it, it seems similar to other shows and other movies that we've seen before. Some of them come after, though. And so maybe they were inspired. But I don't think it really matters in this case. There's like that whole recipe thing here. Like the other movies don't have Nicole Kidman doing her thing that she does in this movie. They don't have the other, you know, the rest of the cast of characters here. And there's, there's an overall just like feeling in this particular house with these particular people in it that I think is different enough from other movies to kind of stand alone. It definitely stands alone. I think for me, this goes down and I would say like top 10 best endings of a horror movie. Top 10. Wow. I think top 10 for sure. Yeah, that's Like it's just a really fucking good ending in terms of just payoff, right? Maybe to some, it may not be the most exciting thing to ever happen, but I think for what you put in to what you get out, there is some return on the investment of your time. And I think it's one that still holds up. Look, you could be an extreme sleuth and kind of pick up on things pretty quickly, aka Mac. Or just be Mac, yeah. But even then, there may be some people that are they think that they know, but then they don't. And like, that's what I think is so, again, unique, especially for 2001. You know, like, this is not like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the early 2000s to see such like thriller plot twists and horror. I not necessarily like very big or very common. And when I think of plot twists, I feel like the others is always or the endings, the others is always mentioned somehow, some way in the conversation, if people know of it, of course, but I got to agree with you, Chris, maybe I, I might say top 10 too. I thought it was a, a satisfying ending. I just felt a little bit dissatisfied with Nicole Kidman at the very end. I think we lacked some drama, some like real emotion that I had expected. I expected some like things to go kind of go off the rails with her character. It was a lot more tame than, than I really you know, thought was going to happen in terms of like, figuring it out earlier or whatever, I actually think it's a story that's really enjoyable when you know what's going on the whole time. Because the journey itself from start to finish is so very interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why I like watching it so much. But yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely love the ending to this movie. I, I'd have to think pretty hard if I would put it in the top 10, but I do really enjoy the ending. I love the progression of the third act leading into the ultimate ending. And I got to say, yeah, overall, there's nothing There's nothing that I would change. Well, let's see if all this praise translates favorably in its rating. But before we score this movie, Sean, how would you describe the gore score? Oh, there is absolutely no gore at all in this one it really it really didn't need any if i'm being honest but nonetheless this one is getting a below sea level type of low gore score and what about the animal report completely safe all right well let's go ahead and get into our ratings then the others in 2001 as chosen by 76 percent of our patrons was it a hack or a slash and let me just kick things off here because i think there's a lot to say about this movie but very little for me to say in in my rating this movie is clean cut. It's atmospheric. Nicole Kidman is Nicole Kidmaning. And I think it's just high quality all around. It really managed to be a movie that has a lot of sad shit in it. And, you know, really, it gets you invested in the characters. And maybe it's just, you know, our consecutive string here doing some sad movies where there's really some family trauma or grief in some way, as Sean has pointed out in previous episodes. But, you know, there's just a little bit of magic here. And despite how I how raw I've been lately, I'll say that heartbreak feels good in a movie like this. 
It's a slush. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. You had to. Yeah. Look, I also, it's, it's kind of hard to give a scoring because you really kind of want to spoil things and get into the weeds of it, but you can't. So I'm like, ah, I have to restrain myself. I said it earlier. I just think that this is such a great movie to kick off the 2000s, especially me that I, truthfully love the 2000s horror scene. I think it's just fun and whatever. But if there's anything at the very least that we can kind of get into without spoiling anything, it really is the performances and not just of Nicole Kidman, because yes, incredible. Let's shout out the children, y'all, because they were incredible. Supporting characters, incredible. They stand out to me without really having to have so much dialogue. And I think there's got to be like something to be said about a movie that can do that and be such a good time. It like raises the hairs on your neck. You're kind of wondering, you're curious. It's got the ambiance. And ultimately, there is a reason why people rewatch this movie time and time again, even though they know the plot twist. And it's because every time is a good time. So that instantly makes it a slash. Yeah, as I said before, I love a good ghost story. And this one does not disappoint. The level of quietness throughout this movie, allowing you to listen to only the small sounds of the house, then bringing the amazing score into the mix, allowing for some genuinely creepy jump scares. It, it really also allows you for you to be fully invested due to all that stuff. And, and it really takes you on a slow and uncomfortable ride. And it still gets me every time I watch it. And it's one that I am sure I will continue to enjoy for years to come. And for that, it's a slash. All right. So first of all, I mentioned earlier that I, I kind of felt that it was more of a thriller, like a horror thriller or whatever. Uh, so Amber, don't be insulted by that. But I, I actually really enjoy thrillers. And I think this firmly lives in that world. It's not trying to give you nightmares. It's not silly. It's not super grotesque. It's just in this like really approachable sweet spot. The acting lands from kid to elder thespians and the set is perfect. The story is interesting, yet kind of low key enough to be overall satisfying Honestly, overall, a slash. You know, we love a universal moment. It's good stuff. We do. Well, there you have it, folks. The patrons have spoken, and we have spoken as well, because now The Others from 2001 is a universal slash. You can find this movie in your local DVD collection, probably. Good luck finding it streaming. But in the off chance it's now streaming by the time you've listened to this episode, check the link in the show notes to see where you can find it. Check out that movie, then join us in the second half so we can unpack these ghosts together. We'll see you in a bit. As we dive into a review of the eerie haunted story of the others, we've got a special treat for all you horror lovers out there. What if every two months a box arrives at your doorstep? But not just any box, but a creepy crate filled with over $85 worth of horror and true crime collectibles. It's like a horror anthology in a box, with each item telling its own spine-tingling tale. We're talking about eerie stickers, spooky accessories, and books that will make your skin crawl. And just like the others, each creepy crate is a suspenseful surprise, keeping you on the edge of your seat. We recently received a crate that included some horror goodies, like a Captain Spalding tote, a Ginger Snaps patch, and a horror novel that I'm sure Anne would read from cover to cover. And the best part, this bi-monthly box of dread is only $39.99, with free shipping. So if you love the thrill of a good horror story, whether it's on the screen or on the page, Creepy Crate is for you. Head over to creepycrate.store to subscribe. And because we're all part of the Hacker Slash family, use the promo code SLASH5 at checkout to save $5 off your first order. That's creepycrate.store and use the code SLASH5. 
embrace the terror, and unbox your own horror story with Creepy Crate. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for The Others, which has earned a universal slash. We have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, let's go through those kills. Yeah, while we don't really see any kills in this movie, that doesn't mean there weren't any. So we do learn about Grace, right, killing her two children after going mad and then killing herself. Then we know that the servants died in the late 1800s due to tuberculosis or something, I think they said. And then the sad death of Charles, her husband, in the war. So we are going to go with a solid seven deaths in this one. Which really is generous considering the fact that we don't see literally any of them die. But it's fair at the end of the day. Although, in my head canon, if you squint just right, Charles isn't actually dead. Charles came home and was just there to make peace, all sad-like. Hence why he just stayed in bed, hallucinated his wife, and then just fucking disappeared the next day. That would be wild. That would be wild. Yeah, just another broken human being. <laughs> Literally. Even better. Just lying in bed with those teary eyes. Like, sure, in the movie, he's haunted by war and what he did and all that stuff. But wouldn't it be even wilder when he has this realization of what his wife did? He goes home to make amends, to have closure after how many years away fighting in the war. I think that's something. Only he would have had to have told the family, like, hey, excuse me, I'm just going to go and lament on your bed for a few days. If you can just excuse me. Hey, Victor. Um, yeah, if you could just leave me alone for a little bit. I'm just going to go and cry about my wife murdering my children. Fuck off, Victor. Yeah, f- fuck off, Victor. Exactly. If only he were a state trooper. And then ended up in asylum. Then we'd be completely tied to Shutter Island. Oh my gosh. Well damn. That's all that's all it is. Okay, but can we take a moment to appreciate how fucking phenomenal it was when we got the reveal of how all these deaths happened? Yes. Specifically the seance table? Oh yeah. It was it was great. For sure. It was great. It, and it was wild. It was wild. I'm trying to remember like my first reaction to that, but even watching it back. It's still something that I, I enjoy. Like, I still get thrills from that scene. Absolutely. Such a better reveal than you would get in, like, other movies with similar twists to it. Mm-hmm. Because it just shows us what's currently actually going on. And we don't have to, like, have a character just talking to themselves and then reaching catharsis. It's like, no, no, you're going to be forced into the truth right now. And it is it – caught, it caught me off guard. I had no idea that there was, like, a seance or that – the old one we saw earlier was the one doing the seance and now it all adds up. Right. That was just like a great little moment. Yeah. But just, just even the thought of your own mother suffocating you to death with a pillow is horrifying. Like that's, that's so intense. It's, it's so intense. And then to go and then have to do that to your children on the other side and then kill yourself. I mean, it takes a lot of cojones to shoot yourself in the head and I don't <laughs> think I could ever do it, but like. Dang. Well, you famously would do any, literally anything on this earth to live. That's true. That's true. It's self-preservation 101. Moms do often say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Uh, <laughs> this is true also. They remind you of it pretty frequently. Oh my gosh. If you're, if you're real lucky. If you're real, real lucky. Moral of the story. I, I gotta say though, even with the, you know, the cojones to, uh, 
kill yourself with like, you know, obviously shooting yourself in the head with, with a rifle and all that. But how fascinating that like from the very beginning, it's the, it's the headaches. She doesn't like everything needs to be quiet. Everything has to be like it there. Okay. Is that what you picked up on Mac? Because it's like, damn, all the signs were there from the very beginning. Like on the rewatch, that was the first thing I caught on to. I was like, holy crap. And then this is why I love the scream because I almost wonder like when she wakes up and she screams, is that her like realizing, like uh, reliving what she did, you know, and then just suddenly coming back to this, you know, supposed, I guess, like world that she's playing, right? This character that she's playing that is not a mom that killed her children. Ugh, isn't like a really big bummer of a version of Fifty First Dates, except it's just like 50 First Murders. And it's like you, you have to like relive this whole thing, forgetting that you actually killed yourself and your children until someone is kind enough to help ease you back into that memory. Oh, no. Shout out to Mills. No, I mean, there was other things that I think I also caught on to. So especially, especially talking to the kids about limbo. Oh, yeah. That to me was just like a, ooh, are we going to have a sixth sense moment? Is this what's going to happen immediately when, when they started talking about kids going into limbo? It's like, oh, that means they're probably in limbo this whole movie because it was 2001. And here I was thinking like, man, nothing like some Catholic guilt and like some shame to be talking about the four hells as a mother to your children. Cause that sounds about right to me. What a horrific fucking scare tactic for children. And I love that the director brings all this up and like is inspired by his own Catholic upbringing and now he's agnostic. (laughs) Good job, dude. Nice. Nice. Lovely. I think the signals for me watching it this time were specifically some of the dialogue with the servants that come into the house. I think that was when it where they like I could see like kind of those signals coming out into the open. But then again, like I also think that also did something to kind of also throw you off course a little bit and and draw more attention to them and like, okay, what's going on with them? What are they all about? And it took away, I think it was brilliant because it really took away from you trying to figure out what's happening with the family. And you're like thinking, oh, this is the antagonist right here. For sure. It's the It's the whole bit of like, oh, it's obvious that the servants are dead. And it's like, yeah, well, guess what? They are too, bitch. It's fun. I have the, I guess, misfortune of recently watching the British TV show Ghosts, not the American version. <laughs> and so like literally within the last month, I've probably watched two or three episodes because I've kind of watched it every now and then. And so while watching this movie, I'm getting very similar vibes. And so when they started talking about things like, you know, the fog or like just like the looks they would give each other when she would say stuff, I was getting mad ghost vibes of the mm. actual ghosts in that show. I haven't seen that show, so I got to check it out, see what it's all about. It's hilarious. Just watch the 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 British version. I haven't watched the American version, but I can only assume it's worse. <laughs> Typically is the case. Can I tell you though, there's some stuff that happens in that TV show where ghosts try to like affect, you know, the real world around them and they and they have trouble with it and it's kind of points of comedy. In this movie, though, when we get the slamming doors, I love the way that looks because on a lot of times you get fast slamming doors right in your face with a really loud bang and it just like blows everything up in that moment. But here we get those like doors that remain open. We pause, we look at it and then it shuts or they leave it cracked or the piano opens back up. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like great execution because it wasn't trying to be like overly theatrical and like, bam, we shut a door. Isn't that amazing? It must be a ghost. It was like, no, (laughs) that door is shut. How did they get out? Looks over. The door is cracked. What? Fantastic choice. Because open doors creep me out. 
I don't know why that is. It's like a safety thing. But if you're ever in your bedroom and like your closet door is open, hmm. I, I can't I can't stand that. My wife is the same way. Oh, my gosh. Damn, Mac. I kind of wish you were on our Boogeyman episode because it would have been so great to have someone who understands. I right, Well, Chris, too, right? You, you don't like open door. Yeah, I will not have an open door, not a closet door cracked open. If it if it even has like a small opening when it's like like a an accordion door, kind of like my closet, it needs to be fully like solid, shut completely. I can't see a sliver of black because I don't know what can go through those cracks. <laughs> you never know. Won't have it. Can't do it. Hmm. Yeah, my wife is the same way with that stuff. I, I don't have a problem with doors being open, but I what I will what I will say is I absolutely loved the lighting in this film. I think that the shots we get of Grace walking through the house with the lantern just added so much to the creepiness and the ambiance of this whole film. And I think, yeah, just just the play off the lighting is the is the best visual element for me. Man, the lighting is so good. And there's really just this beauty that's found in the candlelight and just like these flickering flames. I think my favorite visual, though, is something even smaller than that. And it's really just the beginning of the movie, specifically the opening credits, hmm. because ooh, the style of the art that we get, the, those sketches, those drawings. There is something so eerie about decapitated angel marionettes and a screaming or scared child. Yeah. Like, it was fucking unsettling. I really, really appreciated that, especially against the sound of Nicole Kidman's voice. Mm-mm-mm. Terrible. Yeah, definitely not pleasant. We are talking about the lighting a little bit. There's a particular scene that I think did it so well when the man is, like, hiding in the shadows and you just see, like, a smile oh, yeah. in the corner. That was so brilliant, so great. But another favorite visual of mine, I would say is like more with the makeup, how they did the children's faces, how they were like so white. I mean, I guess that was another me. I mean, I don't know if it was obvious, but it was intentional to make it clear that they were kind of like ghostly like, but also at the same time, making it clear that they haven't seen sunlight in forever. So it's that duality of both things. Like when you rewatch the movie now and you see them so pale, it's almost like, oh, because maybe that's the little nudge that their ghosts, you know, but I, I don't know. I think there's so many other things visually about this film that are cool, but shout out to the makeup department because I thought that was kind of clever to have that duality. How great that they finally get to play in the sun though, huh? Yeah. Mm. And, and dancing along. Nice warm ending. Mm. Let me tell you, those kids were something else. And I think the the power of the emotions that they had throughout this whole film and was really heartbreaking to watch because at one point she was just... The older sister who was like ter tormenting her little brother, but also wanting to be protective of her little brother. It was the fact that she remembers what happened and her little brother is in such denial of it. And it really just like even sent me back to what we're talking about, like Amityville, right? How horrific it must be for someone you know and someone you love to turn on you in an insane act of violence. It's absolutely wild. For me, my favorite scene comes during that seance scene. And we talked about it a little bit ago, but man, how clever is it to see why the table shakes in a seance or the papers go flying, things like yeah. that. But really what took it to another level was Grace's intensity and her denial and then also the children's denial, even though Anne knows that. Like she knows what happened, but she doesn't know in her heart what happened. Right. You know what I mean? It's absolutely wild. And then you have that performance 
from both of them, right? Like there was a moment where they are revealing the fact that the servants are actually dead. And she says, get away from them. Don't talk to them. They're dead. And little Nicholas's face when he said, what? <laughs> it was just so cute. Stop. I literally wrote Nicholas's what when it's revealed Mills and Tuttle are dead was so funny and cute. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, it reminds me of my little nephew, Nicholas, who's like a teenager now and is not a small child. Oh, it's adorable. Although I will say, you know, it's funny that you brought up that that seance and Nicole Kidman's performance there. Because, Mac, I think you had mentioned earlier that you kind of wanted some more. And, and I have to agree. I, it was good, but I think I still want to, wanted a little bit more of, of an erratic behavior similar to the scream that we get at the very beginning of the movie. But here's the thing. My favorite scene is actually, I've got a theory-ish, I don't know, about it. But when Grace is crying in the armoire holding you know, Charles's jacket, the angle that they use is so amazing because it's kind of like at a point where it's overhead a little bit and it makes Grace look so small. And it's kind of like her breaking point, which could be why maybe she doesn't necessarily lose it later on in the end, or or rather that maybe that's like a a choice, a writer's choice. But I think in that moment, that's where we get Nicole coming just like really letting go, maybe possibly even Grace in that moment, kind of realizing not only does she miss her husband and is extremely lonely, but also like we get a glimpse as to what Grace must have actually been feeling or how she was really like experiencing what she was experiencing when it was real life, you know, like before she killed her kids. Hmm. I don't know. I thought it was a really clever like direction, art direction. I thought it was like great performance on her part. However, I do agree with you, Mac. I, I think it would have been cool to see her really unhinged at the end. I just wanted there to be like a struggle before there was that catharsis, like mental struggle, not a physical struggle. Sure. And I think it's, she kind of seemed to accept and remember things like really quickly. To me, at least, it seemed just a little bit too fast. I just I don't know. I wanted her to like be so shocked and appalled and then like battle herself until she realized, yes, that is the truth. I mean, that would just would have made such a longer movie. And I feel like the movie itself was already her struggle. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't having exactly having a blast the whole time. Like she was subtly losing her fucking mind. And there were points yeah. where she was denying Anne and she gets to a point where she sees the old woman when Anne is possessing the old woman. But then she slaps her and then she sees Anne and she's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Like there's so much internal conflict and struggle and she's like on the outside very stoic and kind of keeping it all together because that is the charge that she's left with in the house while her husband is off at war she you think about how hardened she is and she talks about how this channel that they live on was occupied by nazis and not a single one ever stepped foot in their house right and now someone's in the house you know what i mean like i i had no issue with the believability of her performance or even her feelings or how she kind of came to cope with it because it sounds like she's just built different. But here's a question I'm going to pose to the group here. Chris, do you feel like you could see that she was struggling throughout the whole movie and like that kind of buildup, that erraticness, all of those things that you were just saying, right? Like, do you think that you saw that because you've actually seen this movie before and so you know? Because I'm almost curious, like maybe Mac, you or rather, you've correct me if I'm wrong, but did you not necessarily see that because this is your first time watching it so you don't really know that she's 
experiencing the whole length of the movie going nuts as a result of what she's done. I think she unravels throughout the movie, regardless of whether or not you've seen it before, because logistically there are just things happening in the movie and you can see like her sadness for missing her husband. Yeah. Like she wears her like Nicole Kidman for for Grace being as hardened as she is. I think Nicole Kidman wears her emotions well in that role. I guess the the reason I ask is cuz maybe it reads as she's losing it a little bit because she is convinced that these things aren't like there are no ghosts. She thinks her children are messing with her like she's just at wit's end, but it's like okay, the the impact that you actually are the one that killed your kids you would imagine is going to be way bigger than all the things that you experienced throughout the duration of the movie and i guess and i'm not saying that i didn't see that i'm just i I don't know i'm just trying to see a different perspective because my friend that watched it she also had never seen the movie and she was still impressed by the ending but she could tell that okay i guess i expected you know I, from from when I was watching her react to the ending, I you could tell that she was feeling like, damn, I thought she was going to like really, really lose it now. That is that is the point that I had the issue with is the fact that she didn't blow up over that issue. The fact that she murdered her own children, like she was, of course, like taken aback, but she didn't completely lose it in that moment. She like came to accept reality. So, yeah, I think that part was a little bit too quick for me. Not the fact that at the very end. She, you know, emoted perfectly fine. It's just like that one, that one little item, the fact that she was a, you know, a murderer of her own children didn't seem to hit as hard as it probably should have. But I think they also kind of show us that even though they didn't know this stuff, they did know this stuff. Yeah. Secretly down deep within them. They did know this stuff. And for a good portion of time leading up to that scene, there were like, there was talk about stuff coming to light and like things like that. So I feel like. Yeah, she didn't know, no, the truth hit her in that moment, but I feel like she was going through a lot leading up to that moment as it was. But I, it didn't, it, that, I, I can see maybe getting a stronger reaction. I can see that a little bit, but I definitely didn't really, it didn't stand out to me as something that I needed to see when watching the film. But when you talked about Chris, you talked about Grace like slapping Anne in the face, but it's the old women. Okay. For me, that's arguably one of the best scenes in the whole movie. Like the entirety of that scene from start to finish of Anne playing in the dress in the veil, dancing around, pretending to be a ghost, not really pretending. And Grace coming, you know, to take off the dress and notices that old hand playing with the puppet and then moves in front of her and it's just the old lady and that one like creeps me the fuck out every single time i watch it i know it's coming and it still creeps me out i love the scene and it's even crazier because you initially feel creeped out because the old lady is in place of Anne, but really it was Anne possessing the old lady honestly it's really fucking brilliant and look a lot of this movie is less about people learning things and more about people learning how to be honest with themselves about things. But, ooh, when we get that click, when we get that revelation that these ghosts are just haunting the hell out of this house and then there's actually another whole family in this house, when you realize that the others are not the others is in the servants, but really themselves, man, what a fucking moment. And I'm sorry, that old woman creepy ass eyes and it really mm-hmm. this time around i think i felt more of just like Anne's proximity to the old woman and how many times she's seen her 
because something that was lost on me the first time I watched it was when Anne had those drawings and then the old woman had a significantly higher I've seen them count right. than the rest of the family. Yep. I think I have to go back earlier in the film to go to my favorite scene. And it is when we're led to believe that there's a ghostly boy haunting the children and they're in their room and it's dark. And of course, you know, sister's going to tell her brother all sorts of crazy ghost stories just to mess with them. But when we get that subtle movement, when they're both in bed and then we see a figure move across the room, that was a great moment. That was like Ooh. almost to the point of like puking in the sixth sense. Oh yeah. Just a great little, just a great little moment of like, it is happening. You know, Mac, I'm really glad that you bring up that scene and that you bring up Victor in particular, because I really just want to take a moment to pour one out for the real heroes in this movie. And that is not necessarily Victor's dad, but Victor's mom back in post world war II. We had a woman standing up to her shitty husband for moving them into a haunted house and her saying, giving him the business. <laughs> up until now, we've handled things your way. Now we're handling it my way. Like, okay, nice. ma'am, I love this for you. You got this dude to agree to leave the next morning. Fucking well done. That's effective. We haven't seen a, a performance like that in decades. Facts. Facts. Wow. Honestly, I feel like that was a sign of like, all right. This movie was in the 2000s because there's no way. <laughs> like the writers were like, that's that was the 2000s touch. <laughs> I don't know because you know while he's maybe he was away at war and she was taking care of stuff and then when he got back she was like, look, I've been taking care of stuff. We're gonna set some different ground rules here. Is there was there was definitely a, a a good power dynamic I feel like in that relationship. I do wonder though if when they moved into this place if they knew that it was a murder house and they were like, we're gonna save some money and then she caught him on it. Or they like both had no idea, you know? And then like when they found out, they're like, yeah, let's do a seance. Let's try to figure out what's going on. Not, nah, not worth it. Yeah. Give me the Amityville horror before the Amityville horror. Yeah. Yeah. But you probably don't have to disclose back then, you know? Well, back then you just assume that like people died in there. Yeah. But you probably don't assume that a mother murdered her kids. Right. No, this is true. That part. This is true. In a time of war, I would imagine. Yeah. There's unfortunately going to be a lot of death in the home, but not a mom smothering her kids yikes <laughs> i don't know why i don't know why and i'm probably going to stand alone on this one because it's a really strange thought but i don't know why i was getting some weird like horror wendy and john vibes from peter pan from these two kids like i just they, i just connected them to peter pan for some reason they just felt like they could just be plugged right in because they were out there with their fucking batas or little nightgowns yeah of course yeah. like they fucking look like that era of kid and they're super nice little black shiny shoes and mm -hmm. Anne's beautiful like perfectly bob do with it's the great amount of blonde oh yeah i can buy into that and we also know that kids go to neverland and they never grow old because they're already dead so there you go <laughs> oh that's true life right there wow that's a dark a dark version of peter pan that is just the version of peter pan that's just, that's just it is what it is <laughs> that's what it is but wendy came back you know oh boy well well, I have a fun fact about those two because I read this and I couldn't believe it. They searched over 5,000 children to find those two actresses for those two kids. 5,000 children? That's insane. That is a lot. I got a question though. What was it that they're like, oh, these are the ones? Yeah. You know? I bet you it was the girl's sass. That girl probably walked in there and be like, you had to search 5,000 people when you could have just hit me up. <laughs> and it was definitely Nicholas saying, what? What? <laughs> I agree. Uh, I couldn't agree more. His little scrunchy face. 
No, but for real, Anne was a complete savage. From the start, she was like, um, yeah, you see, the, the Bible actually says this, or I didn't read this, so you're a scam. Um, yeah, you know what? <laughs> this is BS. And duh, there are people walking around here. You don't see them. You're an idiot. Like, she was a modern day sass queen. And honestly, can you blame her? I mean, her mom killed her. So true. True. No, no wonder she's going to fight with her. Yeah. I mean, for real. I would. Yeah, that relationship got ruined for sure. I think both Anne, I know we see Anne on screen a lot more, but I, I think both Anne and Nicholas, yeah, they did phenomenal jobs. I think that they did really good, really a good job playing off of just the showing you the emotions of fear and like, you know, the brother and sister kind of arguments and teasing, but also being scared. And like you said, Mac, I think it was you like the protective, but still teasing and all of that. And I think for the two of them, for how old they were and to be able to do something like that and and just really add to the movie and not just be kind of like, I don't know, complacent or just kind of there, I think it was really, really well done. I do have some complaints about people who were just kind of there. In particular, Lydia, because I think Lydia deserved better than to not even speak the entire film. Okay, I was going to say, don't do my girl like that. It wasn't her fault. But yeah, she was robbed of an opportunity to shine and speak, obviously. You know, women's voices were famously stolen from them for time and time again, so... There it is. You want to blame someone, blame the patriarchy. That's right. Technically, they say that she was so shook by the fact that they were dead that that was the last time she spoke. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that'll do it. If it's like, all right, well, I'm dead. I have nothing to say. Like, there's nothing to say. They had to throw that in there. So you had some some kind of an answer as to why she did nothing the whole movie. Yeah. It's a cop out. That's fair. I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, Mrs. Mills, for me... She it was it, it's a weird it's a weird feeling with Mrs. Mills. It was almost like she was both comforting and creepy at the same time. Interesting. I mean, I I think that's probably on purpose a little bit, right? Because like she's always there, like always hovering, just like a ghost, right? And she's got this like motherly figure, like she's taking care of the kids. She talks to them. She's nice, but then there's these creepy moments that she has and these looks that she has. I don't know. I don't know. But I think she gives those looks to Grace. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. She has sympathy for the kids. And to Grace, she's like, I just got to put up with you. And I'm going to bide by my time until you realize what you've done. Until she was basically like, all right, Tuttle, I'm over this shit. Let's go. Let's rip the Band-Aid off for her. It is kind of interesting that Mr. Tuttle basically just repeats stuff that she says, though. That's true. Like, I honestly expected him at one point to just say, the greater good. Happy wife, happy afterlife. Oh, man. (laughs) Forever. You know what? I just realized Mr. Tuttle says something when we first see the servants walking up to the house and they're talking about whatever. I think they bring up the, the, the husband and he says he's probably dead as well. And that's a giveaway right there. But if you don't catch that little dialogue, I just realized that. Wait, he says as well? Yes. I literally watched this movie yesterday. I'm pretty sure. I'm almost certain. I will whip out the DVD and I'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, either way, that's still incredible. Because for sure, rewatching this movie is fantastic and so much fun. Because you 100% could catch things that you didn't, including that one. Look at me right now. I just watched it. I watched it again in January. And if that's true, that's another thing that I didn't even pick up on. And that's so fun for a movie that's early 2000s. Absolutely. It is. 
It is. But I know I know we've also been talking a lot about throughout this whole episode so far, but Grace, right? I mean, this is some of Nicole Kidman's best work, really. I think she did a really great job. It's it's one of my favorite films of hers. She just did a really good job portraying like a mom that's dealing with the fear of like her children's well-being, her husband off to war, but also suppressing obviously that she killed her children and killed herself and all this stuff. And like, just, I don't know. She was almost like stern, but protective and nervous. I mean, maybe even neurotic, like really, really well done performance. Yeah. I think she portrays motherhood that in a way that it's not typically seen when you explore like the pressure of raising children, the pressure of raising your children to follow the faith that you believe in to be good the difficulty of doing that by yourself, all by yourself. I don't know. I just didn't see a lot of horror movies in the early 2000s that kind of tell that story about motherhood. Nowadays, of course, we have so many horror movies that explore motherhood. I think that's a, just a prolific part of the genre altogether. But man, Nicole Kidman sold it for that. Man, it's also so weird to think about this movie's timing in her life. So I, I know Tom Cruise, executive produced, this is the last time they ever worked together before their divorce. They adopted kids together, and then later on, she wouldn't even be allowed at her own kid's wedding because Tom Cruise banned her because it was a Scientology wedding. It's just wild. Oh, it's terrible. And I think about like how emotional like she got like during the production of this film. It's just crazy. She nearly quit at one point. Like she was like going to give up during filming. Oh wow, dang! Because that's I mean that's that's a lot of emotion, yeah. you know. That is. It does kind of, I mean, I hate to say this, it kind of takes me to my worst part of the movie. And you've mentioned it, but Grace's scrupulosity, to me, didn't really have a payoff in the story, aside from just creating arguments with her daughter. She's just overly religious, constantly relying on, like, everything has to be in the Bible or it doesn't exist. But I think overall, story arc-wise, I don't really think it went anywhere. I think we had more of a payoff from her talking about limbo for kids, than we did actually anything biblical. <laughs> Good old limbo for kids. I mean, I appreciate it because I think it went, spoke to the hypocrisy of all that shit. So it worked for me. It worked. <laughs> well, I'll give you a backup just in case. I, I think the audio, the audio was my second worst part of the movie. And the reason why is because most of the movie was too quiet to hear the dialogue. And then every now and then somebody would speak up and it would be like overly loud. This was actually legitimately my worst part of the movie because it starts with a scream and then I couldn't really understand a damn thing. I had to really run it back a few times and I struggled to get subtitles on. Dang. Really? A lack of enunciation. It is hard to hear when they're talking low, for sure. When they do raise their voices, it's like you said, you hear it clearly, like almost too clearly. And the score obviously jumps super loud. But yeah, for from a dialogue standpoint alone, I can see it. What it allowed to do with the rest of it I think it was perfect. But can I be real and say that I, I I don't think I have a worst part. So when you said you had a backup worst part, I was like, oh, I'll take it. And then it was that. And I was like, I disagree. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of, I got to be real. I, I, I don't, I don't think there's like, I would have to really think about something that bothered me. And I guess maybe it could be Nicole Kidman's ending, but it wasn't like enough for, to make me feel like it was the absolute worst. At this point, it would be like, I'll say it's that to have a worse part, but hmm. 
I think this was a really solid movie, guys. So I'd kind of be lying to the listeners. <laughs> I, I feel you. It, it is really hard to find a worse part of this film because I really, truly enjoy it so much. Maybe if I had to, if I had to pick something, maybe not getting like flashbacks of Grace killing her children and then herself even more of a backstory for like the housekeepers. I don't know, maybe one or both of those things could have added to the film, but then how long do you want to drag the film on and and would it really add to it or not? I don't know, but I definitely want to see the kills. I would have taken kills over weird ghost sex things. One more time? Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. Like we didn't need the husband kiss enough on her to snap out of this weird depression era of, of ghost feelings he had. Okay. Like we could have just moved on. Thanks. Okay. Maybe we didn't, but that's actually, you just reminded me that that was another beautiful, like well shot moment. Just the two of them, like staring at each other. I thought it was real sweet. God, y'all, let me be a romantic. <laughs> uh, I, I also have to disagree here though, because I don't want another moment like the witch. I know that's Sean's thing, apparently, based on his track record, you know, but I don't I don't know that we needed it. You didn't even watch the boogeyman. Wait, what? The baby dying? It's just ki- kids dying. Oh, uh-oh. Not that, not that I want kids to actually die, but I mean, <laughs> if you're going to kill kids, you better, you better show it. That's all I'm Come saying. on, boogeyman. <laughs> no, I'm here thinking that there was like weird ghost sex in The Witch. I was like, did we watch the same movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so confused. That's a deleted scene. That's, that's what you're missing. Yeah, it had to have been. They wanted to live deliciously. Oh, uh, boy. Yes, they did. Let me tell you, though, as, as quality as this movie is, Binks, I think I need to hold off on watching it again for a while because I feel like this movie holds up so well for me because I haven't seen it in so long. And I almost don't want to, like, overindulge. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I didn't in I didn't think I was going to be rewatching it. Look, when I watched it in January, I didn't even think that we were going to be reviewing it because it was a patron vote, right? So it just so happened to be that way. So it's just pure coincidence. So at this point, like maybe if someone really wanted to watch it with me, like towards the end of the year, I'll do it. But might give it a gap so that it's still a fun rewatch because without a doubt, I personally recommend to rewatch it so that you can experience the little things that you didn't catch on to from early on. Like that script. That's nuts, Sean. Yeah. That's really, really crazy that he does say that. I, I didn't catch it at all. Well, it's not exactly how I said it. So it more alludes to the war, but still, it's a hint. It's a hint. It's it's a subliminal hint. Yeah, because I guess you could think the war, but we know what they were trying to say. Yeah, look, I don't know. I don't know if I need to watch this one really soon, but seeing as I own the film and I have seen it a good number of times already, I think it's safe to say that I'll be watching this one again. It is arguably one of my favorite ghost stories when it comes to film. So I, I mean, it's got to be up there in maybe top five ghost stories for sure. Yeah. I think it's got a lot of rewatch value and just like as a movie, you know, it's not quite like gladiator level. That to me is kind of the ultimate rewatchable movie where it could be on TV three days a week and you could just watch an hour of it each time and you'd be completely happy with it. But it's, it's heading there, you know, it's got that formula to it. But I think 
kind of like Chris here, I actually wrote in my notes that I think you should space it out in between so that you can still have a high level of investment each time. Because if you watched it like every couple of months, I, I think you would it would just be background noise eventually. That's fair. For sure. But let's see if there's anything that Mac has in fact or fiction that can tide you over until your next watch. Number one, to help the child actors get into character, the director had crew members give them jump scares with Halloween masks. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe they needed to practice jump scares, but I don't know if they were using Halloween masks. I'm going to go fiction. I'm going to say fiction because, like, did they experience a multitude of jump scares overall? Like, I don't know. Maybe a few, but not enough to where they need to practice. So, I don't know. I'll I'll agree. Also fiction. This one is a fiction, uh, but he did play spooky tunes randomly without warning to get them. Fun. Nice. Number two, that certain writer-director also wrote the script in Spanish, and then it was translated into English afterwards. That I believe. That's, I feel like is a fact for sure Hmm. yeah i mean i don't know i don't know i i'll go fact too but i'm not sure honestly this one is indeed a fact i don't know it gave it gave the vibe that he wrote it in spanish you know like in that native tongue just that that vibe well nothing better than a native tongue number three tom cruise was a producer on this film and he and nicole kidman's divorce was finalized the actual same week the movie was released Wait, what? What did you just say? Sorry. Their divorce was finalized the same week this movie was released. Oh, yikes. It's giving Katy Perry when Russell Brand decided to divorce her when she was going to go on stage for a concert. I'm going to say, considering Tom Cruise as a human being, that's got to be a fact. All right. Uh, well... That If it is a fact, man, that's rough, but I'm going to go fiction. I know it was all happening, probably, but I don't know if they actually finalized the divorce, so I'm going to go fiction. Mm, if only this one was a fact. Oh, yikes. Yep, absolutely, because he's an asshole. So there's that. I mean... Yeah, I don't know if anyone's going to blame her in this situation here. Yeah. Number four, this is the third ever non-Spanish language film to win Best Film at Spain's National Film Awards Ceremony, the Goya's Awards. Third? The third film? Mm-hmm. Um, Man, I have no idea. Okay, who? what would the two before it be? You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say fiction because maybe it's like second or like the first and then there <laughs> were two other, you know? I feel like it's the number here is the trick. I know. It, it feels like fiction to me too, but yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go fiction as well. And you guys like really caught me on this one. This is a fiction. Nice. It was the first. The Goyas oh. were established back in 87. Uh, and this film won without having a lick of Spanish in it. Nice. So, you know, good job, Alejandro. Really good job. Yeah. Very nice. Well done. And a uh, special bonus for you guys. This movie is based off of a 1963 episode of The Twilight Zone titled Echoes in an Empty House. Holy shit. Really? Wait. Is it? Is it or that's the question? That's the question. Oh man! Oh, both of us were like, "What fact?" <laughs> okay, please I don't let it be. No, I'm gonna go fiction, but I don't know. No, I'm gonna be fact. Let's. I'm manifesting and hoping that it is because that's really cool. And if not, damn, I'm gonna have to watch it if it is. Yeah, it's a fiction, but it's still equally cool. Um, <laughs> it's actually based off of a 1970 episode of a British TV show called Armchair Theater. Okay. The episode title: The Others. Nice. There was also a 1973 film based off of the same episode titled Voices. Mm-hmm. Pretty much like, you know, the exact same kind of story, even though there were different characters in a different setup. So this idea has been around a lot longer than I See Dead People. Hmm. Sweet. And that's been Factor Fiction. Well, there you have it, folks. The Others has earned a universal slash. 
We've certainly had a robust discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. We want to know what you think. Did you catch the plot twist to the plot twist early on? I'm just curious, but you can let us know by joining on the conversation by hanging out with us for free in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode and want to nominate a movie yourself, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. Our thanks again to Creepy Crate for their support of Hacker Slash. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, there isn't always an answer for everything. How can these people be so superstitious? Thank you.